0: Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you that we have this opportunity to come here today and worship you. God, there may be pain in the night, but we know that you are our joy in the morning. Lord, we just ask that this morning you would clear our minds of all the distractions in the world. Everything that's trying to steal our attention, God, we just ask for you to cast aside so that we can study your word and understand you a little bit better. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Okay, you guys can have a seat. And the oldest group of freshwater kids, you guys are dismissed. For the rest of you, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 16. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's no problem. There are actually some for you in the seat backs. So you can grab one of those. And if you're using a pew Bible, we're going to be on page 902 and 903. 902 and 903. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick Swoboda. I'm a partner here at Freshwater. And I just want to take the opportunity to say welcome. We're so glad to see your faces this morning. And if you are a guest with us today, we are especially glad that you've decided to share the Lord's day with us. So we're going to be studying the gospel of John in chapter 16, verses 16 through 33 this week. And I'm going to preach from verses 16 through 24. And you guys are actually going to study verses 25 through 33 in your life groups this week. So if you're not in a life group, there's your plug. Go join one right after this service so you can hear the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So speaking of stories, before we get started, I just want to share a quick story with you that I saw on social media. And I I guarantee that this story is 100% truth because I saw it on the internet. And and we all know that everything on the internet is 100% true. Okay, so here we go. It was mid-morning when the boy collapsed at home. His father wasted no time picking up his 10-year-old son and rushing him to the hospital where some of the staff had gathered outside to meet them. They could all pretend or hope for something easier, but the boy's history was the proof. They knew it was his heart, and this time he would need emergency surgery. The boy's father paced the halls of the hospital in urgent anticipation for news, stopping every few minutes to ask the orderly what was going on, and the orderly would reply very calmly, the doctor will be here very soon. But each time the father heard those words, it just enraged him a little bit more. And when the doctor finally came rushing through the doors, the father was he was just ready to let him have it. He asked the doctor sternly, "Where have you been? Don't you have any sense of responsibility? My son could have died." The doctor replied, "I'm sorry. I wasn't in the hospital, but I came as soon as I could. Now, please try to remain calm, and we'll do the best we can to save your son's life. Calm down? That's what you want me to do, the father said? What if it were your son lying in there waiting on a doctor? The doctor simply replied by saying, by God's grace, your son will be fine. Now, you should pray for him. The father muttered under his breath, pretty easy for you to say, it's not your kid lying in there. And the surgery took several hours, after which the doctor appeared in in the waiting room in a pretty big hurry. As he was passing by, the doctor said to the father, your son's going to be okay. If you have any questions, just ask the nurse. And he walked out of the hospital. The father looked at the nurse and said, what arrogance. He couldn't even wait a couple minutes just to tell me how the surgery went. But the nurse looked up at the father and she said with tears in her eyes, you know the doctor's son died earlier this week in a vehicle accident. He was actually at the funeral when he received the call to come help your son. Now he's going back to finish laying his son to rest. We don't know what we don't know, right? The implications of this story remind us that we don't always have all the information. We don't always know all we need to know to make right and rational decisions. Whether that's because we haven't, that, whether that's because we've been ill informed or just not listening. And furthermore, our judgment is even more impaired when we're in a time of sorrow and despair. Some of you are in a time of sorrow and despair today. And the apostles in our story today. We're certainly in a time of sorrow and despair. Now we've been studying John's gospel now for quite some time and we're in the middle of the farewell discourse as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his impending departure from the world. And we've seen in recent weeks how Jesus begins to reveal the identity and the purposes of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is revealing what will happen, his disciples are realizing that their best laid plans are dying on the vine. They've been crushed. I mean, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. And now he begins to tell them that he's going away. It made no sense to them. But as Jesus is telling his disciples about leaving, he's beginning to explain the nature of the Holy Spirit. And last week, Pastor Joshua explained how the Holy Spirit convicts Christians of sin. And such Conviction is absolutely necessary in us because we're all people with a sin nature and a, with a predisposition to rebellion. This rebellious nature impacts each and every one of us and often keeps us from focusing on God's plans because we're too wrapped up in our own. So, this week we're going to see how the Holy Spirit equips us in a rebellious world and we're going to discuss three ways that the Holy Spirit equips us to do God's work. We're going to learn from Scripture that the Holy Spirit equips us by, first, contrasting God's plan against our own. Second, by giving us power in Jesus' name to choose his plan. And third, by reminding us that Jesus won the war. This morning, we're going to focus on the first two, and then you guys will discuss the last way in your life group this week. So let's get down to it. The first way the Holy Spirit equips us is by contrasting God's plan with our own. We start our study as Jesus continues his exhortation about the Holy Spirit. So let's go to our scripture. I'm gonna read verse 16 through 22. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, Okay, so what does Jesus mean in verse 16 when he says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while and you will see me? It's a little confusing, right? Well, there, there are typically two interpretations. Some people interpret this comment as Jesus talking about the period in between his death on the cross and his resurrection. So when he says, and again, a little while and you will see me, that would mean that he's talking about when he is resurrected and appears to the disciples. However, the famous biblical scholar John MacArthur interprets this as Jesus talking about the church age after his ascension. And when he says, you will see me, he's actually speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, one God in three persons. If this is the case, Jesus isn't talking about physical sight, but rather his presence in the lives of his church. Now, after studying this passage in its context, I agree with Dr. MacArthur. So just look at what we've been studying over the previous weeks. This conversation is on the hills of Jesus explaining the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And in fact, it's actually a continuation of that conversation. Now, if this is a little confusing for you, don't be too alarmed. It confused the apostles too. Look back in your Bibles at verses 17 and 18. So some some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. See? They were confused too. But we have to be careful here. We often try to draw application out of Scripture without first considering their original audience or the context of the story. The apostles' lives were very different than our own. So let's consider it. From their context. It's easy for us to sit here today. 2,000 years after the fact. And have a conversation or a debate. About whether Jesus was talking about the resurrection. Or the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because we know what's about to happen. right? We know that Jesus is about to go to the cross. But remember. The apostles had no idea. What was going to happen. They were following this guy who seemed perfect. And in fact he was perfect. In every way. He was always right. He was gracious and merciful. He was powerful and attractive. He was the absolute perfect leader. He was fit to be a king. And all the while, while following Jesus, the apostles think to themselves, this is where we're headed, to the throne of Israel. I mean, we just walked into Jerusalem and people lined the streets singing Hosanna in the highest, throwing palm branches at this guy's feet. They are, in essence, electing their king. Now, understand at this time, the Israelite world was in total discord. Imagine a nation where no one could agree on what the future looked like. I mean, can you imagine a nation where so many people had different ideas about who should lead and how? Today, we have absolutely no idea what that looks like, right? The United States has a perfect track record for choosing leaders. No? (laughs) Okay, then this is the perfect way for us to understand this context. Most of us can likely understand how it seems like there's never a good choice in political candidates anymore. Those who seem decent seem to never make it past the primaries, and then we're forced to support somebody who either doesn't share our values or just not support anyone at all. Now imagine the perfect man comes along, and all you could think is that he's going to make everything right that seems so wrong. He's going to right every wrong. Now, this is how the disciples felt when they followed Jesus and watched him perform miracles and proved that he has power over all of the elements of the world. They thought, this is the perfect guy to lead us in a rebellion against our oppressors, against the Roman Empire. He's the perfect guy to restore unity across our land. He has knowledge. He has the power. And crazy enough, he loves us. He has the power of God on his side. And they just couldn't wait to see what he was gonna do with it. So you can imagine how they felt when he told them that he was leaving. How can he be king if he's not around to lead, right? I mean, I can see them now talking amongst themselves. We abandoned everything to follow him. What was the past three years about if he's just gonna leave us? I don't understand. I don't get it. Do you? What does this all mean? I don't understand. So they looked to each other for answers. Instead of asking Jesus, they muttered under their breath, their discontent to each other. We don't get it. We don't know what he's talking about. These guys are having the world rocked right now. Their entire plan for redemption has just been shattered. The last three years of their lives, they left family, friends, careers, traditions, beliefs, and everything they held dear to follow Jesus to the throne of Israel. They trusted in him to heal their land, and now he's telling them that he's leaving. Never mind this. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit business. Who understands that anyway? Right? They're shattered because all they can understand is the one hope they had, the one reason they had for continuing on, the one and only one they followed was telling them that he was going away. They didn't understand. Although they heard, it made no sense. So let me ask you something. Do you understand everything that God tells you? Do you understand his purpose for your life? Do you understand everything you read in the Bible? Some of you may say yes to one of those questions, maybe, right? But I'd be willing to bet that for the most mature believers among us, we'd say no. I don't understand everything God wants me to know. I don't understand His will completely. Why did my child get sick? Why did mom die? Why did I lose my job? Why am I feeling so empty right now? And how is this following Jesus? How, Nick? How is this glorifying God? How can this be a part of a plan when it makes no sense? It wasn't part of my plan for my kid to dive off into drug addiction. It wasn't part of my plan to be so in debt. It wasn't part of my plan to be single at my age. And like the apostles, we're forced to just throw up our hands and simply say, I don't understand. I don't get it. We get defeated, don't we? Our lives get turned upside down. We're absolutely positive that we're on the right path, and then bam, we're flat on our backs. Are some of you defeated right now? Well, look back at your scripture, because this is where we find hope. Look in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me. Look at the first two words. Jesus knew. Just stop right there and think about that for a second. Jesus knew. He knew the burdens on their hearts. They didn't ask him. The text doesn't tell us that he overheard them bickering like school kids it says he knew he knew what was troubling them and what was troubling them their plans were being shattered their plans were being disregarded they were losing hope but he knew what their burdens were right because jesus knows and he knows your burdens too sometimes it can feel as if we're on this island all by ourselves right It can feel scary. And our burdens get the best of us. They overtake our peace that we have in him. But Jesus knows. You don't even have to tell him. He is a God that searches hearts. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows your sorrow and your despair. And more importantly, he knows the reason for it, even when you don't. And though we sorrow, he is faithful to deliver us. So look at your text in verse 20. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. No one will take that joy from you. You know, we get so focused on the joy aspect of this exhortation that we often forget the weep and lament and the you will be sorrowful statement. Now, the point is not for us to forget about our sorrow. Just look at the apostles, for example. Jesus has the power to take away their sorrow immediately, but he didn't. He was intentional about telling them that they would sorrow, they would despair, they would weep and lament. These things were necessary. Why? Because they had the wrong focus. Their focus was on their plan, not God's. There's a sharp contrast here between God's plan and man's. I mean, Jesus flat out told them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. He told them that he would return to them. He told them his plan. And yet, they were still in sorrow. Because he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do. And Jesus knows that their sorrow and struggle is necessary. He knows that it's inevitable. Let me prove it to you. Jump down to verses 31 and 32 with me. So what happens here is Jesus speaks plainly to them so they could receive understanding in verses 25 through 28. and And they finally get it. So they tell him, yeah, okay, yeah, Jesus, now I get it. And Jesus responds sort of sarcastically. Do you now believe Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Do you really believe? Jesus is flat out telling them, no, no. You will be just as I said. You will be scared. You will weep and lament, and you will be sorrowful. Why? Because they don't really believe believe yet and they're still following their own plan for redemption they need a struggle they need the sorrow to empty themselves so that the Holy Spirit can fill them up you know Christians sometimes that struggle is exactly what we need to refocus our attention on him so are you struggling right now Perhaps it's for the very same reason the apostles were struggling. Perhaps it's because you were so set on Jesus fulfilling the plan that you made rather than stepping back and listening to his. He told the apostles plainly, and they still didn't hear him. Why? Because they weren't really listening. Are you? Are you listening to God speaking into your life, Christian? Perhaps your struggle, your sorrow, the reason you weep and lament is necessary for you to see what God wants you to see. Perhaps it's necessary for you to really believe. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The apostles' plan for redemption was insufficient in contrast to God's plan. And their sorrow was directly linked to their unbelief. It was only after they were able to abandon their plan that God allowed them to receive the Holy Spirit over 50 days later. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were radically changed. They got it. They understood. These were people who spent time arguing over who would be the greatest in this new kingdom that Jesus was set up. And now that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, They were one in purpose, God's purpose. This new plan they're following now is written on their heart. It was ordained by God. They finally understood what mattered. They finally understood why Jesus came and what he did on the cross. So they abandoned their plan to follow God's. And directly after, God took uneducated fishermen who lived and traveled in an area really no bigger than central Missouri, and he spread his love across the entire earth. And because they had God's own spirit working in them, they could rejoice because they knew their plan, which was God's plan, would overcome. It would persevere through all trials, and it would win out in the end. Because God doesn't fail. Brothers and sisters, there is joy in that. Everlasting joy that no one can take from us. And what is joy? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that true joy is being content and satisfied in every situation. But look, as Christians following Jesus in a world that is bent against him, it can be confusing, right? The Holy Spirit does exactly what Jesus did in this passage for us today. He contrasts God's plan against our own. And though we've been given the Holy Spirit, we so often live like people without the Spirit, don't we? So if you felt the Holy Spirit convict you on this issue this morning, I'd invite you to repent. And ask God to help you overcome yourself. And for those of you that haven't submitted your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you sorrow. Maybe you have emptiness. Maybe you're weeping and lamenting. Maybe this is all God preparing you to receive the Holy Spirit. Perhaps he's emptying you of you. So he can fill you up with him. And if that's the case, you might ask, what next? Well, the answer is simple. Just ask. Look back at your Bibles in verse 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Okay, now we've seen Jesus demonstrate how the Holy Spirit equips us by contrasting God's plan against our own. And now we're going to look at the second way the Holy Spirit equips us, which is by giving us power in Jesus' name. So these verses, verses 23 and 24, they demonstrate a teaching moment here for Jesus. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the nature of God and how they're going to relate to him in the future. When you look at verse 23, you see when Jesus says, you'll ask nothing of me, it's because he's not going to be standing right next to him anymore. So they can't look to him and say, hey Jesus, what about this, what about that? Asking questions. So how will they relate to God? How will they talk with God? Through the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus was this walking encyclopedia for the apostles up to this point, when they needed clarification or instruction on anything, he was there. I mean, he was better than Google. Okay. Jesus found that. I mean, wait, back up. The disciples found their treasure in Jesus. I mean, they knew, and Jesus knew that whenever he would leave, these disciples would be confused. They wouldn't know where to look or where to turn. So Jesus gives them another way. He equips them by telling them that they can ask in his name, his name, the name above all names. So Jesus says to them, truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now when Jesus says truly, truly, he's really getting down to business. This is him doubling down right now, so listen up, because this is where we get it so wrong. This is where we confuse the promise Christ makes on our behalf. You see, many of you, including me in the past, heard this. Whatever you ask of the Father, He will give you. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? You notice what I left out? Jesus said, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. So, what does this mean? It means when a follower of Jesus asks for anything within the design, the plan, and the purposes of Christ, it will be done for them. Now, just imagine for a second with me a police officer. A police officer has authority given to him or her by the government, right? They can affect arrest. They can arrest people as necessary when someone breaks the law or whatever else. They do that, and when they do that, they do that in the name of the governing authority, They can't just go out and arrest anybody they want willy-nilly. If they did, if they were to make an arrest for a personal reason, it wouldn't be good for them, right? Because the governing authority wouldn't stand behind them in their decision. So the decision that he makes will ultimately be undone. And worse, he will have damaged the reputation of the authority. The same concept applies to us Christians. When we truly ask in Jesus' name... We're asking him in his authority and in his purposes. And therefore, we have assurance that we ask, whatever we ask for will be done for us. The apostles are not asking for new cars or successful careers here. They're not seeking after the ways of the world. They're seeking understanding. They want to know the ways of the one true God. And they received that understanding when the Holy Spirit came upon them on Pentecost. So Jesus was faithful. He gave them what they asked for. So what are you asking for? You know, Jesus closes a statement by telling the disciples to ask and receive that your joy may be full. In our minds, typically immediately go to material possessions, right? Finally, finally I can get what I want. But what you want is empty if it's not in Christ. There will be no everlasting joy with the treasures of the world. The only eternal joy is in Jesus Christ. So ask for the things that will glorify him. Ask for more understanding. Ask for patience. Ask for kindness. Ask for mercy. For peace. Ask for godly wisdom. And for those of you that don't know Jesus... Ask to be saved so that your joy may be full in his name. Okay, so I've given you guys a lot today, a lot to consider. And I just want to pass on some practical application before I wrap things up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to be intentional this week about going to God in prayer. Praying to the Holy Spirit to, and asking him to contrast God's plan against your own. Okay? Ask God if your sorrow or your struggle is due to the fact that you're still focused on your plan instead of his. And I'm also going to ask you to consider your prayer life as well. What are you asking for? What are you asking God for? Are you asking for prosperity, for safety, for protection, And for other things that will help you live out the life that you want? Or are you asking for the means to live out an obedient life to Christ? Things like obedience and faith, wisdom, understanding, godly desires. And as the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you, remember that true and everlasting joy is found in God's plan, not your own. So he can confidently say, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy, and no one's gonna take that joy from you. Okay, so we've highlighted two ways the Holy Spirit equips us to do God's work in a rebellious world today. And those two ways are by contrasting God's plan against our own, and second, by giving us power in Jesus' name. The third way is is by reminding us that Jesus has won the battle, right? And you're going to discuss that later this week in your life groups. I want you to know that up until this point, I've been speaking to the Christians in the room. I've been speaking to those who have received the Holy Spirit and thereby you've been given understanding. You've been given the understanding that comes along with receiving the Holy Spirit. But maybe Maybe you're not following Jesus. Or maybe you've called yourself a Christian for a long time and the Holy Spirit is starting to work on your heart and you're realizing that, yeah, maybe I'm really not following Jesus. If you're in one of those two boats, I'm just going to take a second to summarize what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we're all rebellious people. That we've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standards. And God is a perfect God. All sin and lawlessness deserves to be punished. And in order for God to remain perfect, he must punish sin. The only problem is, no one can live a perfect life. Right? Which means we're all headed for eternal damnation. But God, in his merciful righteousness sent Jesus to the world to teach us the true nature of God, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, and to be a sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Jesus willingly went to the cross to be crucified, and when he did, he accepted the punishment for your sin. And the Bible says, when we deny ourselves and we place our faith and trust in Jesus... We are saved from eternal damnation. And we are adopted into his family. And that's not it. It's not over there. God gives us his very own spirit, the Holy Spirit, who works in us as a guarantee that we will persevere to the end. That's pretty awesome. So if you don't have the power to ask for understanding in his name right now, That maybe it's because you must first ask for life in his name. If that's you, if the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart this morning, I just invite you to respond in one of three ways. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And when we do, I'm going to stand right through those doors right there in that hallway area in the foyer. And I just invite you to come back and have a conversation with me we'll just talk a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus. Or I can pray for you. Or whatever, whatever you want to talk about. It. I'll be back there for you. Second, when you came in this morning, you received a worship guide. And on the inside of that worship guide is a connect card. You can fill that out and you can check the block that says, I want to follow Jesus. You drop that off at the connect table in the little box there on your way out. And I promise somebody will get in contact with you this week. And third... I stand at the door at the end of the service as everyone leaves and you can just grab me up then and we can have a conversation. So I'm gonna leave you with this note and this is primarily for those of you that have been struggling with God's purpose in your life. Okay? This is primarily for those of you that have been struggling with your plan and contrasting it with God's plan. Remember the story I told you when we first got started, about the father who was in so much sorrow and pain that he yelled at the doctor who saved his son's life. Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the guy or gal who's yelling at the great physician because of the pain and the sorrow in your life. And maybe you're smiting the one and only one who can help you. And all this time, You've had no idea that he attended his son's funeral so that you could be saved. He didn't have to, but he did. And he did it because he loves you. You don't know what you don't know, right? But now you know. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you For your word, I thank you that you're a God who knows us inside and out and that you see past us. I thank you that we've had the opportunity to explore ourselves this morning. And Lord, I pray that this would not be the end. I pray that you would continue to convict our hearts and that you would bring us to a place in our lives where we follow you and your plan and your design fully. I pray for obedience for this church And I pray for those who don't know you yet, God, to come to you in repentance, to ask for life in your name. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.